Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620 to talk on the show. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. We've got a lot of stuff coming up over the next couple hours. Glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. There is a new sheriff in Milwaukee County. And candidly, he's off to about as rocky a start as you could imagine. Everybody understands the controversies involving former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. In the Democrat primary last year, Clark's number two guy, a guy who had experience in law enforcement, um, Richard Schmidt, he ended up, Schmidt ended up losing. And now you have the new Milwaukee County Sheriff is a guy named Ernell Lucas, um, whose real claim to fame is he was with the Milwaukee Police Department. And for the last 10 years or so, he's been was Major League Baseball and he was Bud Selig's bodyguard and things like that. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. I like Bud Selig an awful lot, run into him every once in a while. But, but Lucas has been away from law enforcement for a long time. And Lucas is a political creature as much, if not more, than he is a law enforcement creature. And by the way, I understand you can say the same thing about David Clark. But, but you know, we, we've traded in David Clark for Ernell Lucas, and I don't think the county is any better for either one of those situations. Well, Lucas has made a, a series of sort of stunningly bad decisions. He has surrounded himself with what I think a lot of people in law enforcement to be to consider to be some really unqualified people who are there more because they are his friends or associates than they are because they deserve their positions. He has insulted, I think, pretty much every Milwaukee County employee and every Milwaukee County taxpayer by his decision to hire John Chisholm's kid. And I understand that almost nobody is talking about this. Dan Bryce broke the story a couple weeks ago. I've mentioned it a couple times. Maybe some other talk show hosts have mentioned it. But this is, it is just absolutely amazing that you could do something like this and get away with it. Most sheriffs, including Richard Schmidt and uh, David Clark and his predecessors, they're... They surround themselves with people with law enforcement experience. That is what their command staff is. What Lucas did is he has created a new position, chief of staff. Okay, you got your chief of staff. Did he bring anybody with law enforcement experience in to do that? Did he elevate a captain? No. What he did is he took $80,500, matter of fact, almost $85,000, and he reached out and he has hired the 20-year-old son of the district attorney in Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, to be his, his name is Ted Chisholm, he, he's going to be the the chief of staff. Kid doesn't have a college degree. He's in studying divinity. <laughs> They're going to bring him in. What is his connection? Well, it's easy. His connection is 
that he is John Chisholm's son and he's politically connected and he's going to have a, make a job with paying more than $80,000 a year. By the way, starting assistant district attorneys make in the 40s or 50000 and they actually do work. This is a complete and total insult. Of course, nobody on the county board is complaining about this because... Well, all right, they might have an out-of-work brother-in-law sometime, and they might need to reach out to somebody else in the county to put that brother on the payroll or whatever. So everybody just looks the other way. But this is what is going on with the sheriff's administration. Well, now, all right, so it's one thing. You've got nepotism. You've got cronyism. Now what you're starting to see is just bad public policy. Now, over the last couple years, the policy of Milwaukee County towards people who commit crimes while in the county who are also in the country illegally has changed dramatically. David Clark aggressively believed that Milwaukee County should be cooperating with federal officials when it came to people who, again, commit crimes in Milwaukee County and who are in the country illegally. Matter of fact, Clark went so far as to trying to have Milwaukee County um, Sheriff's Department deputies cross-deputize to act as um, to act as, as essentially quasi-immigration agents. There's a program that allows you to do that so you can actually, you know, make the arrests yourself. Clark put that in. When Clark left, acting sheriff Richard Schmidt rolled that back. Here's here's what he changed the policy to be. It said effective immediately, the Milwaukee County Jail will not hold any inmate in custody based solely on an immigration detainer. Now let me back up for a second. What happens is when local when federal law enforcement finds out that there is somebody who is in custody because of a state charge who is also um, in the country illegally, they issue a document that is called a detainer. They file the detainer, and the detainer says, notify us when this person is about to be released, so we will come in and we will scoop them up. Now, maybe we won't always do that, but notify us when the person is going to be released. All right, well, so Clark would do that. The acting sheriff, Richard Smith, said, well, we're not going to hold any inmate in custody based solely on an immigration detainer. Once an inmate is scheduled for release... The jail, if we've got a detainer, what we will do is we will contact immigration immediately and say, hey, the guy is being processed. We will at least give you some time to come down and pick him up. We're not going to hold him until you get here. We're not going to hold him for days or whatever, but we will give you notice that he is about to be released so you can get an arrest warrant or whatever and you can come grab him. All right. That was the middle position. Ernie Lucas, the new sheriff, or now Lucas, yeah, that, that is now gone. And matter of fact, I have something in my hands honoring his pledge. Sheriff Lucas has established a policy ensuring that absent a valid judicial warrant, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office is not sharing information with immigration regarding persons detained in the Milwaukee County Jail. In other words, we're not going to make phone calls telling you that people are about to be released. Um, we're not going to talk with immigration and customs about detainees in our jail. There will be no communication with ICE. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this has a political appeal to a certain part of the community. 
here, we, we don't want you cooperating with immigration at all. My question is this. How long is it going to be before under this Kumbaya policy, somebody who otherwise would have been subject to deportation is released without immigration knowing it and then goes out and, I don't know, gets drunk, gets behind the wheel of the car and hits and kills somebody or commits some sort of violent crime? When that happens, will the sheriff have blood on his hands, and will he be held accountable? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore, but this policy of refusing to cooperate and talk to immigration, absent a, a formal arrest warrant or judicial order, I think is dangerous. It is playing politics with the safety of people who live, work, travel through southeastern Wisconsin. 414-799-1620. Is the new sheriff doing the right thing? If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. 1219, Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. Mark my words. Somebody in this community is going to be seriously injured, perhaps killed, as a result of this policy implemented by the Milwaukee County Sheriff. And when that happens, the blood is going to be on his hands. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I really just think, I mean, it's against the law. And as far as I'm concerned, if he's neglecting his duties, it's really uh, something he shouldn't even be in power for that. I mean, if he's going to ignore the law, well, right. I mean, I, and I guess, to, to, and my point would be, to what end? So let's say, let's say you you arrest somebody who is in this country illegally, and you've arrested him on on battery or assault charges or whatever. He goes in front of some Milwaukee County Court Commissioner. They put some low bail on him. You know that immigration authorities want to pick him up. Why in the world? Wouldn't you communicate with immigration authorities and say, okay, he's going to make bail here. You can come pick him up if you want. Why would you turn somebody who doesn't belong in this country legally just back on the streets again? It, it makes no sense at all to me. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, it's, you know, you better take a mirror to yourself and see, uh, you know, I mean, this is his, this is his duty. Yeah. If he can't do his duty, Right. Well, that, that he should be out of a job. Well, thanks to call, Bill. And I mean, here, here's what immigration says about this. Immigration says, look, when law enforcement agencies fail to honor immigration detainers, and again, that's the formal document. A law enforcement finds out, the feds find out that, okay, you've got somebody who's wanted for, you know, who, who's in this country illegally or whatever. It's a notification. Please detain him. Tell him, tell us when he is going to be released and, and we'll, we'll come scoop him up. Or maybe sometimes we won't. Sometimes they make the decision not to, but at least you give them the option. Immigration says when law enforcement agencies fail to honor immigration detainers and release serious criminal offenders onto the street, it undermines ICE's ability to protect public safety and carry out our mission. No kidding, because you know just as sure as night follows day, you know what is going to happen. Somebody who does not belong in this country is going to commit a crime, 
They're going to be arrested. They're going to go to the jail. They're going to be have some low bail set on them. The sheriff's department under Lucas is going to not cooperate with immigration. Immigration isn't going to know that that person has been released. And you know darn well that sooner or later, that person is going to go out and do something seriously wrong. And that's going to be on the sheriff because of this insane sort of policy. Now, look, I, I understand that you want to encourage people to cooperate with law enforcement. And and I'm not arguing that everybody who files a complaint with the sheriff's department, who says that they are a victim, I'm not arguing that the sheriff's department should run a background check on everybody. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I was, I was beaten up on the streets. I'm not arguing that the sheriff's department has an obligation to run a, a complete background check on that person who's making the complaint and then say, hey, we think this person who's the victim of the crime might be in the county illegal, might be in the country illegally. Here, we're going to notify immigration. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about people who are in the jail because they have been charged with crimes once they get into the jail once they are taken into custody that is a completely different ball game and why why you would you know not focus on this and why you would notify immigration about this to give them a chance to pick them up is beyond me joe and jackson joe you're on wtmj hi steve i i guess when i'm listening to what you're saying i the first thing that I think about is um, the, the it's not as he did make a, a point to say that the, these people will have to serve out the sentences related to their crime. What he's saying is that he's not going to keep them beyond that yeah. based on their illegal, illegal immigration. Right, and status. he's not going to not- he's not going to communicate with immigration. He's not going to notify immigration when they're about to be released. Right, and I think a lot of that has to do with partisanship. I mean, it's it, 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 both sides are guilty of it at this point. I think that uh, you know, I mean, there's. There's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides, and and in my opinion, I don't fault him for taking the stance that. He what takes. is the hypocrisy? You you've got somebody who is illegally in the country. They're here in violation of the law. What is the hypocrisy in not notifying immigration that there's somebody who's subject to deportation who's in your jail? What where is hypocrisy on that? Very easy to answer. I think in in, in regards to the Republican Party, I mean it, it's kind of a total switch. The partisan stance on immigration at this point is a total flipping of the time since Reagan. I mean, when Reagan... But but wait, i got to stop you, Joe. We're not talking about immigration policy. We're talking about federal law with regard to people who've committed crimes. It's purely partisanship, though, and you know that. No, it's partisanship. Okay, so so what is going to happen? You have somebody who gets in this country illegally that's charged with assault makes bail is released and then goes out and kills somebody all right who's going to be responsible for that very small percentage very 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 small percentage as a matter of fact there are, you can google that you can google that exact sentiment and it will say that there is no proof that there's connection with illegal immigration and higher crime rates well no 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 see, see joe you're missing the whole point We're not talking about immigration and crime rates. We're talking about people who are in this country illegally, who are taken into custody for committing crimes and are subject to deportation. And we are talking about a sheriff that refuses to cooperate with the federal government and notify those people, notify them and hold them so the federal government can pick them up. So, yes, 
What happens is when that individual who is subject to deportation is released because we haven't communicated with immigration and they go out and they kill somebody when they shouldn't have been out on the street in the first place, it's not partisanship. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It is because you had a sheriff that because it was politically correct decided, I don't want to. I don't want to cooperate with the federal government, so as a result, we're going to turn somebody loose on the street that shouldn't be on the street. And when when that crime is committed, it's not going to be an if, it's going to be a when. It's going to be laid at the feet of the new politically correct sheriff. Look, it's one thing to talk about the cronyism and the nepotism and all that type of stuff. It's another thing to start messing around with public safety. And that's what's going on now. 1226, Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Milwaukee's biggest and best St. Patrick's Day celebration is on its way. Gaelic Storm returns Saturday, March 9th for another year of blazing Celtic-inspired rock and roll. Don't miss out on this Milwaukee St. Patrick's Day tradition at the Riverside Theater. I will, on two separate occasions this afternoon, be giving away pairs of tickets during the show. Stay tuned for your chance to win to see Gaelic Storm. I guess, look, I understand that you've got this whole debate that goes on about immigration and, you know, do we need to figure out a way to let dreamers stay in the country and all that? I'm cool with all that. That's for smarter minds than might have figured out. But I'm a law and order guy, and I'm a law enforcement guy, and I will tell you this. It makes absolutely no sense in the world that when somebody is in this country illegally and they are arrested, they are taken into custody for a violation of state law, it makes absolutely no sense that a local law enforcement agency like the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department would not cooperate with federal immigration officials to the extent that if the person is about to be released from the county jail, why wouldn't you give immigration an opportunity to come down and pick that person up if... If they want to deport them, because the alternative is somebody who is subject to deportation is released back into the community. And when that person, like I say, it's not an if it is a when, when one of those folks goes out and commits a crime, then, you know, statistically, well, I don't know how many of those folks are going to actually do it. Well, all right. When the one guy goes and kills someone, tell that to the surviving family members of that victim. Political correctness standing in the way of law enforcement, and that is what is wrong. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have a winner for our first pair of tickets to see Gaelic Storm at the Riverside a week from tomorrow night. Keep listening. Sometime between now and 3 o'clock, I will give away the other pair of tickets. All right. So yesterday, yesterday, Tony Evers, the new governor of the state of Wisconsin, rolls out his budget request, his budget proposals. Let me let me just say this at the outset. I And, and let, let me explain why I found what Evers did yesterday to be so incredibly disappointing. Now, I understand that the the budget process is something where, you know, governors cram in all their different wish lists, all the things that they want. But what what liberal what what Evers really did is it it was it was not a serious proposal. And by that I mean this was sort of it contains pretty much every discredited left lefty idea that that's been floating around for the last decade. And he threw them all in. And none of them 
have a chance of passing. I mean, none to the point that you've got the Republicans in the legislature. They're now they're going to start over. This is, in other words, this manifesto that he came out with yesterday has absolutely no chance in any way, shape or form of being enacted into law. And it's kind of to me, candidly, very disappointing because recognizing the political realities that you have Republicans who control the legislature, at least you would have thought that maybe maybe the governor would have come out with things that had some chance of being written into law instead of trying to throw every, every left-wing policy idea in there just essentially you know hoping for a political advertisement because none of it's going to happen so most of this budget proposal frankly just was not serious and i mean that to the extent that it has no chance of being enacted so i don't want to talk about all the different aspects but there are a couple and i want to start with what the governor proposed with regard to the state's workforce, the, the minimum wage. Here, here's what he would like to see as part of his budget proposal. Now, this really has nothing to do with the budget, but let's talk about the concept. Right now, the state's minimum wage is $7.25 per hour, although I don't think there's probably too many people that are making seven twenty-five because given the fact that we have full employment or pretty close to full employment, you know, people just aren't working that not that many people are working for seven and a quarter. But what what he wants to do is he wants to increase it to eight dollars and twenty five cents um, by 2020. So that would be in my next year, boost it to nine dollars by the next year, increase it 75 percent, 75 cents per year over the next two years. So quickly, he wants to try to get it to eleven dollars an hour. But here's the other thing. He wants to create a task force to look at ways to move the state towards a $15 per hour minimum wage. And to this point, you've got, for example, uh, Tony Zelinsky, who's the Milwaukee alderman who's building that palace in his neighborhood. Um, Zelinsky, who wants to be mayor, not going to be mayor, but he wants to be mayor. You know, he's introducing a resolution saying that he wants the city of Milwaukee to officially support the governor's plan to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. He said that between one-fourth to one-third of the city's residents live on incomes below the federal poverty line. And his point is, who can live and raise a family on $7.25 an hour? And the answer to that is, I don't think anybody can live and raise a, a family on $7.25 an hour. I don't think the minimum wage was ever intended to be something that would guarantee that. But Evers says, I'm all on board with this. I want to see it go up to 15 bucks an hour. You've got politicians that are saying the same thing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't object to people making money. I, I think that that's great. I don't object to people bettering themselves. And candidly, I mean, I think if somebody's entitled, let's say you're making 10 bucks an hour and somebody you know can find a job that pays you $15 an hour, I think that that's absolutely tremendous. You know, go for it. But the idea of the government coming in and saying, you know what, in the free market, this job is worth 10 bucks an hour. But even though that's what the free market says the job is worth, you, Mr. or Ms. Employer, you now have to pay $15 an hour. I think, number one, that is wrong. Number two, I think it's going to be extremely counterproductive because I think a lot of bad things are going to happen if you make employers 
pay people more than the job is worth in the free market. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The governor wants a task force to move towards with giving him ideas to move the state to a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Some local politicians are completely on board with that. All right. Would this be a good idea? Would this better society are there problems with it that maybe haven't been thought out? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1240. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Neil in Pleasant Prairie. Neil, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Love the show, man. Thank you, sir. Um, so here's the thing. I'm thinking it's a domino effect. My wife works in daycare. She makes ten, eleven dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. If it goes up to fifteen, is she going to make fifteen dollars an hour? You wouldn't think so, because that that you, you know I don't know what she right. would right. think that it would go a couple dollars over. Well, it, it, it almost it almost out. has to. I mean, right? If let's say let's take a fast food job. Let's say I started at nine bucks an hour. Now I've been there for two or three years, and now I'm an assistant manager, and I'm making thirteen bucks an hour or whatever. Yeah, if the if the starting wage now goes up to fifteen, I'm going to expect. I mean, I'm going to expect a bump. You're going to have to pay me at least nineteen or twenty. That that exactly. otherwise it's not fair. Yeah. But the other thing is, with how many teachers there are to te- to uh, students. Now, all of a sudden, the rates for the daycare go way up. Yep. So this is affecting everybody that's got kids in daycare. How do they afford it? Right, be, right. Because yeah, granted, right, you, you, granted, they're making a little bit more money, but is it going to cover this? Even well, this little bit? Well, no, you're, you're right. And see, and that's what you don't think of. I mean, thanks to call. That's what people don't think of with this. Oh, well, it, it's so nice. Let's give people more money. Well, where is that, where is that dough going to come from? And you are exactly right. There is going to be the, the sort of rolling effect that's going to happen because you, you can't, you, you can't just, if you raise the minimum wage, so if you're starting out, you're, you're starting salary, like I say, I don't know how many people really start out at minimum wage given where we are in the economy nowadays, but okay, let, let's say you're making 10 bucks an hour, and all of a sudden, you know, you, as that's the entry. You're an employer. Your starting salary is 10 bucks an hour. Now you have to pay those people 15. You're obviously going to have to pay all the employees who've been with you who make less than 15. You're going to have to give them an equivalent boost as well. You are talking about a massive increase in your payroll and that, 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 that money has to come from somewhere uh, for businesses. And you're exactly right. One of the places that that's going to come is by just increasing costs. So you have this dramatic increase in, again, the wage cost. Well, you're going to have to pass that on to the consumer. So, all right, for everybody, your example was great. It was daycare, but fast food or whatever. That's one of the unintended consequences of this. Linda in Wauwatosa. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Linda. Um, one of the things, too, is that we own four hair salons. It's a franchise. We employ high school students as our receptionists. Mm-hmm. They work from like 4 till 8 p.m. in the evening. Years ago, we paid seven and a quarter. Now we pay them $9 an hour because well, that's what the market has dictated. Yeah, I'll let order. you make your point, but let me just stop you there. That, that's exactly right. You can't you can't find anybody nowadays for minimum wage, or at least anybody that you want to hire. So to get kids that are worth bringing in that come back the next day, you you, you pay over minimum wage now. You pay what the market bears. Exactly. So right. we now pay $9 an hour. 
If we were forced to pay them $15 an hour, we would no longer employ any high school kids. Right. That job would just be eliminated, and our hairstylists would be forced to do the vacuuming, do the laundry, do all of those things that we have these high school kids do right. so that we can get clients in and out faster. Right, and from the perspective of the high school kids, the choice in the scenario you're having is that you're either making you're, you're, those high school kids aren't going to make 15 bucks an hour. It's either going to be the 9 bucks an hour that you could pay or they're going to make nothing because th- that, that job is going to go away because you can't, you can't afford it. Uh, now, some people would say, Linda, well, Linda, you're this rich business owner. I mean, how, how dare you cause these people to work at this, these slave wages? Yeah, well, the same thing, the hairstylists would then have to be paid even more because they have formal education. They're paid more than our receptionists are. So, again, it's a trickle effect. Everybody would have to be paid more right. based on their education and their qualifications. Right. And, no, we could not afford it. Our The prices for our haircuts would have to increase dramatically. Right, and, of course, that... I mean that affects your customers, and it might affect you. It might affect you as a business because maybe okay, you got four hair salons. Maybe you've got three that are doing better than one. You know, a fourth one, mm-hmm. and that, that's always the case. But you know, you're 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 not making as much money on that fourth one. So you say, okay, well, look, now we're going to be losing money. So we're just going to close the whole darn thing. Why? Exactly. You know, why have right? That that is the effect. Now, thanks for calling. And that the important point that you make is. That for a lot of these businesses, if the government comes in and tells you that you have to pay more than what the market says the job is worth, and to your point, Linda, the marketplace, the free market says the job of answering phones at your hair salon is worth $9 an hour. That's how much you have to pay to get somebody to come in and do that job that, you know, is willing to do the job and that you can you can live with. You, you can't do it on minimum wage. It's the free market. But if the government comes in and tells you now you have to take that job that is worth $9 an hour and you've got to pay $15 an hour, your response is what I think a lot of businesses are going to say, well, to heck with it. Okay, we're, we're doing away with the job. <laughs> it just It's plain and simple. And how does that benefit anybody? Ted in West Dallas. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Uh, you kind of touched base on one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think with all the automation and the fact that there's more people getting into artificial intelligence and stuff like that, I think these people are, are committing suicide in so many uh, because yep. they're, they're going to wind up pushing, there's going to be no jobs. Yeah, let me, you know, I, I'm so glad you called, Ted. I, I have I have some friends, I have acquaintances who own fast food restaurants. And the, the that that's always the debate. With automation nowadays, you can, and some restaurants have already gone to this, like yes, the, 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 self, the, the self-serve kiosks, you know, yes, where... they have, they right, have them, yes. Right, so instead of having, like, three people at the counter who take your order... You know, maybe they have one person, and then they direct you to this kiosk where you go in, you kind of push the buttons, you say you want this kind of burger or whatever, and then you go up and you pick it up. So you only need one person instead of three. That kiosk, maybe it costs you $5,000 to put in. Well, okay, at $15 an hour for labor costs, you've gotten that investment back pretty darn quick, so those jobs go away. Right, and they're going to do the same thing. You ever call someplace up and you have to talk to an automated phone system? Right. Basically, yes and no. You'll be doing that when you go through the drive-thru. Exactly. They'll put a computer on it. You won't need a human being for anything. Right, and then the jobs go away. Now, thanks for the call. Now, and that 
That is just the reality, and you're already starting to see that. It's again, it's the effect of of automation. I, I'll tell you an example where I where I see that a, a lot. I'm um, it, it's one of the few bad habits I have left. My lovely bride Fran has gotten me out of almost every bad habit that I have. But one of the ones I, I still like to have occasionally, I have been known to place wagers on horse bets, horse races. Well, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, if you went to a track, if you went to Arlington Park to place bets, you would walk in and you would see an entire array of of people behind the counter who would take take your bets. You'd go up and I'd say, I want $20 to win on number eight, and they'd punch out the ticket. You go down, for example, to Arlington Racetrack nowadays, and you'll find a couple of those stations manned, but not too many, because what do they have? They have all these automated machines, and you know it, it takes you about 10 minutes to figure out how to use it, but once you do, you don't ever have to go to see an actual teller. You just go up and you kind of punch in race number three, $10 to win, number six, and it spits out your ticket, and you put the money in the machine. That's all you need to do. And so it used to be all these people that were out there actually taking the tickets, that those jobs have gone away. Why? Because the in this case, it's the racetracks that said, okay, we can save a whole bunch of money. Why do we pay people to sit behind these counters that people that call in sick, people that we have to pay benefits to, when we can make this investment, we can buy these machines, the machines, well, they're going to be there every day. They might break down every once in a while, but then we call somebody to come out and fix them. That's just the reality that's going there. And and the more you increase the wage cost, the more you increase the cost of the human help, the more incentive you give to the employer, to, to our, our caller two calls ago, Linda. Okay, so Linda hires high school kids for 9 bucks an hour to answer phones at her hair salons, all right? Well, all right, you increase it to $15 an hour, and she said those jobs are just going to go away, but it, let's take another alternative. Maybe it gives her an incentive, again, to set up an automated phone system. So every time you call one of these hair salons, it goes into this computerized thing. That's the type of stuff that that goes on and that's what i don't think people think about let's talk to paul who's calling us from illinois paul you're on wtmj hello yeah, hi thanks for taking my call yes, sir Love you. thank you uh, i live in a state where we are in the process of uh raising that minimum wage what i haven't heard is how many people are going to be coming off of government assistance right. or if they're just going to increase that threshold and if they increase that threshold uh it's higher that means just more right. spent all the way around from your home taxes to the businesses. Right. Well, right. The, the reality is these minimum wage jobs were never intended to be, you know, something that you can support a family of four on. And it doesn't matter whether the, the minimum wage is nine bucks or 10 bucks or 12 bucks. That, that's not what they're geared for. They're entry level jobs. They're part time jobs designed to supplement other income. You're, you're right. If you want to try to figure out, you know, how much do you have to pay for a family of four supporting job, you're probably you know, talking substantially more than $15 an hour. I'd have to sit down and do the math, but I could. That's correct. No, no, you're right. Thank, thanks. For, I mean, this is, look, I, I, I understand. I understand that you, you want to see people make as much money as possible, unless some, somebody thinks they're making too much money, and that, which, in which case that's bad. But I just think taking an artificial thing and saying the free market says the job is worth nine bucks, we're going to make you pay $15. It might make you feel good, but the long-range consequences, I think, are a lot worse. This is the direction Tony Evers wants to move the state. Hope not. 1254.
Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric built that. you got to do better on these forecasts. And I don't blame you exactly. I understand, you know, you don't control the weather, but this <laughs> this is pretty darn miserable. You're not enjoying the uh, the frigid temps we're about to see? I was telling someone that, I mean, I no, look, and I acknowledge, I spent last week in Key West. All it took was coming back a week ago today from Key West to awful last weekend because remember it yeah. was that, that nasty oh, rain God. and yes, stuff and yes. then then you had the 40 and 50 mile an hour winds and the low winds all it took was those two days to just kick the key west out of me and then <laughs> and, and but i i, I would say i silly me we're down there and i'm saying well okay at least when we get back it's going to be march and things start to turn around and nope. things like that and nope. And again, it's I'm trying, trying, trying to be the glasses half full guy. But you look at the ten day forecasts, and it's there, there's nothing. There's nothing above freezing over on the horizon. I have spent the last several weeks with my roof break, making sure I don't have ice dams, and right. I miss it one day. And now I have giant ice dams, and they're going to be there forever because yeah. nothing's going to melt that stuff. My gutters are going to end up on the ground here in a day. Because it, yeah, that it's just it's ah. the Wisconsin winter, and I understand that we choose to live here and all. But it's, <laughs> I, I think you know what what gets to me is it's not it's not just the intensity of the winter, it's the length, and, and that's I mean I and it's funny because I, I talk to a number of people you know it's th- if if you live in a certain other parts of the country yeah you get winter but by the time March rolls around you're having your share of forty degree days okay, yeah, you know that yeah. you know by by this time and it, yeah you get cold and you get the snow but you're you know, it's like, okay, it, it's going to be cold for a couple of days, not not zero, but it's going to, but then you get the 40 degree days and stuff. And I mean, I have relatives that live in, in, in Maryland, like outside of Baltimore mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, and, it's gorgeous and they, springs there. Well, well right, exactly. And, and by, by March, you know, they're, they're playing golf, you know, and, 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 you're, <laughs> and I'm not talking about playing golf with like six layers of clothes and stuff. That's the, that's the thing that I think kind of, especially as you get a little older, that kind of just wears on you. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, I, but, but if you lived in some parts of the country year round, I think you'd be bored, right? If you were in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you're there. You're in San Diego at 75 and sunny. No, seriously, when we were in Key West last week, you know, one of the things you do is you, you know, you, you hang out in bars and you just, you talk to everybody. Sure, and I, sure. I mean, it was amazing how many people I was talking to from you, you from like New York, a lot of people from the Northeast, New York, Massachusetts stuff. You say, I'm from Wisconsin. Ooh, you've really had a bad winter. And and then and then the guy next, a true story once, we're sitting in Margaritaville in Key West. Guy next to me says, bad Wisconsin. I'm from Minneapolis. This is like the worst winter on record. <laughs> yes. And then you start, again, it's like it's like you know, showing scars or something you know, from, from battles. <laughs> Here, you want to see this? Um, but it, it will get better. And of course, opening day coming up in less than four weeks, March yes. 28th. Can you believe that? And it'll, there'll probably be snow on the ground oh no 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 we're hoping no we're hoping no so in any event you know stick with us it it will in fact get better we will pursue this all right there, i meant made mention of this story yesterday and and we didn't have time to you know open up the phone lines and discuss it but i do want to double back because i am a i am a student of uh, again of pop culture and i'm a student of the way our the way we consume things changes and there was a story in the Milwaukee Business Journal yesterday which kind of reinforces this point now i i am an old dog who can in fact learn n- new tricks i am a voracious reader 
Ask my wife. At any given time, I've got three or four books that, that are going on. I I consume. I am a news junkie. I would be, even if I were not paid to come and discuss issues with you, I would probably still be, you know, doing what I do. Maybe you know, not not as not as intensely, but I'd be looking for news stories and things that interest me. That, that's just kind of what I do. Um, a couple years ago, I used to have four newspapers delivered to my home on an on an almost daily basis. Used to get the local paper, the Journal Sentinel, the USA Today, the Chicago Tribune, and the Wall Street Journal. I'd, I'd have those delivered on a, a daily basis. And I, I used to enjoy like sitting down and, and actually going through the papers, et cetera, et cetera. What I found was I just didn't have the time to to read all of those things. And I also started looking at how much they, they charge for these various papers and deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm just not getting, I'm not getting the value out of it. So what I did is in all those cases, I ended up dropping my print subscriptions. I no longer subscribe to any of them. Now, I do have digital subscriptions. So instead of paying $400 for a hard copy of the Journal Sentinel to be delivered to my house, maybe I pay $40 a year for access to to view all the stuff online, including the ability to go and and see what the print edition looks like. That's how I consume it. Um, Same thing is true with the Chicago Tribune. For pennies on the dollar. I have the digital subscription, so I have access to it, instead of paying 300 bucks a year to have it delivered to my house. Same thing is true with the Wall Street Journal. Um, New York Times, one thing I do do is I do get a hard copy of the New York Times delivered on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, just because I tend to have a little more time on the weekend, and I still like to sit in the morning with a cup of coffee and go through that. But I have, by and large, with the exception of the weekend New York Times, I no longer get any newspapers delivered. It's not saying that I don't consume them, but I consume them digital, digitally, and I, I pay a fraction of of the price for those. I also have a digital subscription to the L.A. Times and the Washington Post, again, for my job, but it's, it's, it's cheap to do that. And it, it just it makes economic sense. And I will tell you, I have gotten to the point where I just I don't miss the hard copies of the paper anymore. Now, I was thinking about this because the Milwaukee Business Journal had a story yesterday about the Journal Sentinel's print, the circulation of the print edition. And it's just it continues to fall off a cliff. What they say is, and this is, again, for the same period of time from you know, as of December 31st, 2017 to December 31st of 2018, weekday circulation, all right, in um, weekday circulation had dropped um, about 5,000 papers. It had gone from 116 to 111,000. Um, that's what they saw. So you had, you had this drop. You also, the Sunday print edition circulation declined by about 5.3% for the Sunday paper. It dropped, um, by an average of almost, you know, 10,000 papers. Now, people are making these decisions that they, not that they don't want to consume news. I would argue that now more than ever, we want information. But we, we want it when we want it, and we want it in the form we want it. And for the hard copy of the paper, it's it's just like a dinosaur. And again, I'm one of these guys that 
I'm an information junkie. But over the last couple of years, I have gone from four or five daily newspapers delivered down to three newspapers a week, Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday, and that's the New York Times. And, of course, you're starting to see this with the Journal Sentinel. You're seeing this all across the, the board with perhaps one or two exceptions. Digital circulations increasing. The New York Times, their digital stuff has gone through the roof because in this era of people not liking Donald Trump, that's where the folks who don't like Donald Trump go. And so they're flocking to the New York Times digital subscriptions. All the while, the print subscriptions that cost a fortune because you have to buy the newsprint and you've got to buy the paper and you've got to have them printed up and then you've got to have the delivery system. So all that has these huge costs. As that is going on, fewer and fewer people want that hard copy of the paper. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know we've discussed this in the past, but these latest numbers just, just have me thinking quite a bit about this. I am becoming more and more convinced with the exception that with the exception of perhaps a couple, maybe national publications, I think print editions of local newspapers if not disappearing completely in the next 10 years, will almost disappear completely. Maybe cut down to maybe, you know, once or twice a week. I think as those of us who are a bit older drop the subscriptions, die off, whatever, I just don't see the generations behind, for example, us baby boomers stepping up and and buying hard copies of newspapers, which isn't to say they don't want the information, but they're going to consume it in a different way. Our newspapers, and again, I'm talking about the daily newspapers. I'm not talking about weekly shoppers or things with coupons. But our daily newspaper is going to be dead in the next decade. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Milwaukee's biggest and best St. Patrick's Day celebration is on its way. Gaelic Storm returns Saturday, March 9th for another year of blazing Celtic-inspired rock and roll. Don't miss out on this Milwaukee St. Patrick's Day tradition. It's at the Riverside Theater. I'll be giving away a pair of tickets between now and the end of the program. Stay tuned for your chance to see Gaelic Storm. Bill in West Bend. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, Jeff, I think there's three reasons why this is going on. Um, I worked for the Journal at Delivering Papers for about five years, and every morning they'd give us mail uh, telling us, you know, people would go on a vacation or stop or start or whatever it was. And they'd give us reasons why people would quit the paper, and a lot of it was the person would pass away. They would die, mm-hmm. and then, you know, they would, they would, you know, obviously they were done with the paper. But the younger people would never would never sign up. So it's definitely a generational thing. Yeah. Also, I, I think you're absolutely right. People have no idea what it takes to print a newspaper, the ink. You gotta go into the woods and cut down trees and, and the labor and the printing presses and all that stuff that goes into to that is unbelievable. Right, and then the delivery system like you're that you were a part of. Okay, so even after you have it printed, then somebody's gotta come and drop it off at the central point and somebody and then you have to go wherever you've got to go to pick up the papers and then you've got to drive it around. There's a lot of effort, time and money that goes with producing it and then getting it into somebody's mailbox at five o'clock or five thirty in the morning. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. Think about the winters around here. You, you know, like this winter, when you go out and deliver a newspaper, the plows are out there, and you you, guys, you throw it up into their driveway. Well, the plow would come by and plow the thing into the snowbank, and half the time people didn't get it or it'd blow away. Right. And all these problems with that. And here's one last thing. The journal has turned dramatically left. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people just don't want to read that stuff. You know, they don't want to read 
the constant bashing of Scott Walker and you know I yeah I, I think that's no I mean thanks see I I think that's that is a a factor what we'll call liberal bias in in the media but I I don't I don't think that's the biggest problem I think it goes back to what you were saying I, I think it, it's just sort of a generational type of thing and and that ends up happening and we talk about stuff like this on this program all the time twenty years ago. If you owned a blockbuster video store where people went to rent videotapes of movies, it was a license to print money. Now, I understand that there's maybe a couple, you know, video rental stores around, but not too many. I mean, years and years ago, you know, when they first came out with, um, like, Betamax or, or, or digital recorders, that was the coolest thing in the world. Well, now that that's all changed. You now, people just don't do that anymore. You know, you want to watch a movie? Well, fine. You just, you know, go online or you have your smart computer and it's hooked up to your TV and you, like, stream the show you want to watch. For And I, I think that's... That's part of the problem. I, I and I don't know what the age is, but my guess is, you know, people and I've kept I keep unfortunately raising this. My guess is there's people under forty or forty five who who've never purchased the newspaper. I mean, maybe maybe if you're sitting waiting for your oil to be changed at the at the auto dealer or something, you know, maybe you you glance at at a paper if they happen to have one there. But the idea that you're going to have home delivery and you're going to spend three or four hundred dollars, people aren't going to do that. That's just not how people consume the information anymore. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I get the print edition, and because I do, I got access to the digital edition right. as well. So oftentimes I'm peeking at the digital edition. So when I get the print edition, I'm looking at it. All the stories are a day or two old already. Yeah. You know, so that that's like the biggest thing. Well, right, and people. Okay, can I ask you how how old are you, Scott? I'm six one. Okay, right. You know, so right. So you are of you are of the generation. That you know, you, you grew up. My guess is you probably grew up reading a print edition of a paper, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, okay, you are of that generation, but even even for a baby boomer like you, you're now saying, okay, every time I get the hard copy of the paper, most of the stuff in it, I've already seen it, you know, a day or two earlier when I checked it out online. Yeah, my wife likes the crossword puzzles, and she keeps those. Well, well, right, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Th- thanks for call, but there, there's only there's only so much of that that's out there, and I guess that that's the point. See, and Scott, you're the guy I'm talking about. Even as a baby boomer, you're you want the information, you're consuming it, but you know you're consuming it in that digital fashion. And and God bless you for you know having the hard copy of the paper uh, you know delivered so you can buy you know so your wife can do the crossword puzzles, but. That's that's a pretty expensive way to go when you think, gee, I can get the digital paper for forty bucks and the hard copy of the paper for four hundred bucks. That's a lot of crossword books, if you know what I mean. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tony in Sussex. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, Jeff, Tony Maroney here. Hey, man, how are you doing? Hi, Tony. How are you doing? Better than nothing, you know. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. I don't feel fine when I wake up in the morning when I raise my hands. What do you hey, think? Listen. You know, the way that I look at it, my wife and I, Jeff, get the paper on Sunday and Wednesday. And really, it's just for the coupon. So you, you, you know, use it as a that, coupon. Yeah, you use it as a coupon delivery system, nothing more. pretty much it. I mean, other than that, you know what? Everything else is online. What do you want to know? You know, and my dad and I, we grew up at, at well, I grew up in Appleton, and my dad uh, raised our family at the Appleton Post Crescent and uh, had a good good life up there i mean needless to say but that's before online you know and right. the internet came around man i mean 
paper, I think, is dead. Is well, it? I, what do you think? No, I know. I, I, I mean, thanks for the call, Tony. I agree. I think, I, with a couple exceptions, maybe some of the big national papers. I think, I think, daily home delivery is going to be dead within the next decade, with with perhaps a couple exceptions. Now, that's not to say that, that it's going to go away, because people still want the information, and they still want the news. The challenge is going to be, how how does a newspaper company, how does a Gannett, how do they monetize it, because... You know, how much can you get people to pay for the information, the content that you're putting online? Because you, you still have, you gotta still pay the reporters, you have to still pay for that. But I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. You, if, if now the business model is, hey, you know, buy, have the newspaper delivered on Wednesday and, and Sunday, be, on Wednesday and Sunday because, you know, there'll be $300 worth of coupons in it. That, <laughs> that, that's not, it seems to me, a long model for success. And look, I, I, again, this isn't conservative or liberal or anything like this. This to me is just one of the, the changing ways that we consume things. And I think it's hit the newspaper industry a lot harder than anybody anticipated. And again, I, I think the way they're going to adapt is by pretty much getting away from print. And again, I'm talking about daily newspapers. There's always going to be a role for like those weekly shoppers for the, for the, that you find like sitting around the, um, the, the grocery stores for the, for the coupons and stuff. But I mean, I think, you know, I think if you're looking for newspapers within the next decade on a daily basis, um, I think you might have to go to a museum. It's 128. On February 23rd, the lights turn on at the Wisconsin Center, and it's your opportunity to see all the new cars, new trucks, SUVs, exotics, and high-end luxury vehicles, all at one place, all at one time. You can even test drive vehicles right at the show from Volkswagen, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Fiat. Kids even have their own test drive area, courtesy of American Family Insurance. The future is on display at the Wisconsin Center, February 23rd through March 3rd at the Milwaukee International Car and Truck Show. Discounts available at autoshowmilwaukee.com. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have our winner for the uh, second pair of Gaelic Storm tickets. If you didn't win, well, it's always a great show, and it's a week from tomorrow night. Check it out at the Riverside Theater. Tickets still available. Hey, I forgot to mention earlier in the program, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 um, we've, we've actually, I, I've been making a conscious effort. This was my New Year's resolution to try to post more tweets, and I've been pretty good about that on pretty much a daily basis. Uh, more tweets, including highlighting some of the things that we are going to talk about in the program. If you want to know what we've got coming up in less than an hour in Pop Culture Corner, well, I've got it posted um, up on my Twitter account. Again, you can check it out. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 In addition, a special thank you to the many of you, because I see the numbers every month, who subscribe to and listen to the podcast. Had a good February, even though I was on vacation for a week. So you can go to um, again the WTMJ mobile app or the you know the our website WTMJ.com. Click on the mobile apps and you can subscribe to the podcast. That's one of the things that uh, my producer Gru has to do before he gets to go home every day is go and post the podcast. So what we want to do is you know just reward him for all that hard work that goes into preparing the podcast. So he's going to put it up there. Why don't you subscribe? All right. I want to take a slightly different angle to a topic that we have discussed before. Um, I was, well, last week I was on vacation. We came back from Key West, 
and we to get down there, we flew, went to Mitchell Field, flew from Mitchell to Atlanta, sat around Atlanta for an hour, changed planes, caught a flight, went from um, Atlanta to Key West, and then coming back a week ago today, seems like longer, again, there was the reverse. You know, you go to the Key West airport, which is a an amazing little airport. It's just it's one of the most amazing airports. It's still an airport rule that they don't have um, they, they, they don't have the jetways. I mean, you you walk out, you walk across the tarmac, and then you go up the steps to the plane. It's like the old-fashioned things. And what they always tell you is, this is a working runway. In other words, there's a, they've got these lines. Stay between the lines. Don't go wandering outside the lines because there's planes and stuff that are coming in there. It's it's just it's a quirky little airport. I absolutely love it. But then, so we fly from Key West to Atlanta, hang around the Atlanta airport for like an hour and a half, catch the flight home. But you know, while you're in in these airports, you are interacting with all sorts of people. I mean, at airports are kind of like daycare centers. They are germ breeding factories. I mean, that's just kind of what they are, just like airplanes are. It's amazing. I Almost every time I fly on a plane, I, I come home and I end up getting sick because there's always somebody behind me that's like coughing up a lung or something like that. And you just you just are sneezing or whatever. And you just know all these germs are going into this controlled environment. And I'm not a germaphobe or anything like that. But it's still like, oh, my gosh, you know that you're going to get sick. Didn't happen to do that this time. But OK, here's here is the deal. We have talked on this program on multiple occasions about the resurgence of diseases that essentially they were childhood diseases when I was a child that that have dis, that had disappeared because of things like vaccines. Most prominently, measles. Measles have made a comeback, and they made a comeback because, despite the fact that we have vaccines that prevent you from getting measles, you have people who make the decision not to have their children vaccinated. Um, for example, as of oh, about a week ago or so. Already in the U.S., there's been 160 cases, and this is about a week ago, 160 cases of measles that have been reported in 10 states, none so far in Wisconsin. But what they're seeing is they're they're seeing these outbreaks that are coming in different areas. And again, it's because parents are making the decision to opt out of having their kids vaccinated. Now, what do airports have to do with measles? Well, this is a scary story. Because this could have happened when I was walking through the Atlanta airport. Here's the headline. Travelers passing through Midway Airport in Chicago last week may have been exposed to the measles. Travelers, this is Chicago Tribune, travelers passing through Midway Airport last week may have been exposed to the measles, according to the Illinois Department of Public Health. Most people are vaccinated for the disease in childhood, but those who have not been vaccinated are at higher risk of catching the highly contagious and potentially life-threatening disease. An Illinois resident who was unvaccinated and infectious, and the thing with the measles is you are you are communicable for like 24 or 48 hours before the disease actually manifests itself. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, gee, I, I woke up, I've got all these like spots all over my body, I've got the measles. You know, you, you can spread the measles for a day or two before you actually show signs that you have it. So here's the story. An Illinois resident who was unvaccinated and infectious arrived in Concourse B of Midway Airport on February um 
February, what, 20, what day did it happen? Don't mean to freak people out about that. Happened last week. Um, the Illinois Department of Public Health said in a news release, people in the airport between 9 p.m. and midnight may have been exposed to the disease. Measles is spread through the air when someone coughs or sneezes. It can also spread through contact with mucus or saliva from the infected person. But again, you're sitting, like you're waiting to catch your connecting flight, and the person behind you sneezes or coughs, and they're infectious with the measles. Well, well, I mean, good luck. Uh, let's see. Two days after the infected person was at Midway, they sought treatment in the emergency department at Northwestern Medical Hospital. Um, those who were in the emergency department on February 24th, they also may have been dispo- exposed, as well as individuals who were in the hospital from 4 to 6 p.m. Um, on February 24th and from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on February 25th. Local health officials are investigating this, and then they say measles is highly contagious. Two doses of measles vaccine are about 97% effective in presenting, preventing measles, and then they say we urge everyone to make sure that they and their family members are up to date on their measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. Um, those infected by measles might not develop symptoms for weeks. And then what they're saying is, hey, if you've been exposed, if you happen to be in one of these areas and were exposed, um, you know, you're under the gun till about March 20th because it could take that long for, again, this to be exposed. So here you have all these people. And a lot of times when we talk about this, we talk about it in the context of, well, you know, if you're, you know, who we shouldn't force people to have these vaccines because if they get it, you know, what what exactly is the big deal? Well, here's a situation where you have somebody that has the measles who apparently doesn't know that they are infectious yet, and, and they're in an airport. They're coughing, they're sneezing, and everybody they come into contact with has the potential to be exposed, including maybe older people with compromised immune systems who um, it was before the measles vaccine came out. Maybe it's people that are traveling with small children who are too young to have been vaccinated. But anybody who came into contact with this person now has to worry that maybe they're going to end up getting the measles uh, uh, by March 20th. Now, I go back to where we started with this. This was a disease which essentially was eradicated because of the development of these vaccines. It is now making a comeback, and all you need is one person to do what apparently one person did at Midway Airport a little while ago, and now you've got Lord knows how many folks that have been exposed. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We make it very easy nowadays in many, many states, including Wisconsin, for people to opt out of mandatory vaccines. This is the type of thing that can happen when somebody who is unvaccinated gets exposed to the measles, gets sick. They then expose, go to an airport, you expose a ton of people, including people who potentially have compromised immune systems or small children, to this disease. And I guess my question is, from the overall picture of society, do we need to toughen up on people getting vaccines for measles? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. (music) 
It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Apparently, uh, somebody who had the measles virus, had measles but they hadn't shown yet, was at Midway Airport last week. And now who knows how many people have been exposed and might be subject to coming down with the measles. And part of this is because we we have people who are reluctant to get vaccinations or to have their children vaccinated. And as a result, you're seeing this childhood disease, which was eradicated, that is now returning. Caroline in Glendale. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Um, So here's my my thinking is that... um, the schedule that they have it on, there's so much being put into such tiny little bodies. Um, and I really feel that the mercury and the formaldehyde that is used in the processing of some of these vaccines is just too much for them. That being said, I do think vaccines are important, but I think they need to change the scheduling, especially the MMR vaccine, since we know that so many thousands of children get sick after that vaccine when it's given under three years old. And the incidence of vaccine injury has grown exponentially over the last several decades. Um, I do think that we need vaccines. However, I think we need to change that. So that way they can be a healthier vaccine. So that way kids aren't ending up with all sorts of uh, repercussions like um, Guillain-Barre syndrome or other syndromes or um, effects. Well, I guess, so, I, mean, I mean, here, Caroline, here, here, thanks for calling. Here, I mean, here's how I would answer that. First of all, I, I don't think they use mercury in anymore in, in the vaccines that are there, and I, I, I stand to be corrected, but I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, obviously, this is something that you consult with your pediatrician on, but I, I think the conventional wisdom is that for the vast majority of, of children, vaccines are safe and they are effective now i mean obviously i mean you were talking about guillain barre syndrome i mean that that traces back to the the swine flu thing and there were it's true you know there were a relative handful of people who got that swine flu shot that the government administered who ended up with guillain barre syndrome and and i think you know probably there might have been some causation for that but the the bottom line of that is in general it, it served a, a positive purpose and i guess i one of the things that I, I think, and if we're in a situation where the, the dispute isn't about vaccines, it's rather, okay, do we need to adjust the timing on them and stuff? Well, that's okay. I mean, to me, that's something you talk to your pediatrician about. But I, I guess th- this bottom line is, and I find it frustrating, that you you have vaccines depend on a herd mentality. They depend on, you know, X percent of the population, you know, 90%, 95% of the population getting those vaccines so they're protected. The problem, and the problem becomes though, what about the people who, who can't get the vaccine because they have the compromised immune system or the person, the, the older person or whatever who might be vulnerable to this? And so you get measles, for example, and instead of it just being something that is uncomfortable, it turns out to potentially be a life-threatening sort of situation. And if you can't get the vaccine. You're exposed to somebody because you're in the airport. And you have somebody who's infectious, who's there, who's coughing up a lung. Now, you know, you can't protect yourself. Now you've got the measles and you've got a major health situation that could have perhaps been avoided if the person had just gotten a vaccine in the first place. I guess that's that is the frustration that I end up having. And, and more and more people are deciding that they're going to opt out of these vaccines. And we, of course, have have states, and Wisconsin's one of these, where we make it easy to do that. We say that, okay, you don't just need a medical reason. If you just want to opt out for 
personal conviction. Gee, I was on the Internet and I saw this and uh, my kid's perfectly healthy. The vaccine wouldn't cause any issue, but I don't want him to have it. Well, okay, that that's great. Then your kid gets the measles and your kid goes to daycare or whatever, or you're taking your child with you when you're going on spring break and you're sitting in the airport and your kid has been exposed to somebody who has measles and then your kid infects all the other kids who are too young to get the measles vaccine i just don't think that that's fair to everyone else karen in illinois sends me a text jeff your state yes state should mandate vaccinations with rare exceptions your freedom of choice um ends where my health and safety begins I guess I just kind of find that compelling. And again, I understand that there's going to be reasons. There's going to be certain individuals for whom they're not going to be able to be vaccinated. And that's, I think, why everybody else making the decision to get vaccinated is important. Number one, it makes sure that your child doesn't get the measles. And number two, it makes sure that if your child would get the measles, well, your child doesn't infect somebody who can't get that vaccination. But my guess is there's a lot of people that were at Midway Airport last week during this period of time who are now kind of going, wow, I got to wait till March 20th to find out if I happen to be somebody that was infected. Yuck. 154. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Eric Bilstadt. If it were legal for you to post a wager on, uh, what's your alma mater? What's, uh, Drake. Drake. Okay. Drake University. So, okay, this weekend Drake is playing whoever Drake is playing. Yeah, big game. Missouri Bass. State for first place. Okay. All Missouri right. Valley Conference. Here we go. Okay. All right. See, we went to the right source. All right. <laughs> so, all right. So you you are probably the only person in Wisconsin who'd be interested in that. But okay, that that's fine. So, you know, if. If it were legal in Wisconsin for you to put a wager on the Drake-Missouri State game, would you be inclined to do it? You think you might do that? Uh, no. So you're not a gambler? Nah. You wouldn't bet? No. Nah. Not even for fun? Well, yeah, okay, I would do it no, for well, fun. I wasn't, no, I'm not pressing. But, I was asking you for no, the... I, 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 it would be hard for me to to be that confident and to need that enjoyment. You know what I mean? I can already enjoy the game. I don't need that. Okay, so still. for like on a, on a Packers Sunday, for example, Packers are playing the Bears. If it were legal in Wisconsin for you to place a bet, would you be inclined to do yeah, that? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe even do one of those where you have the numbers, you know, for quarters. Per, mm-hmm. You know, if you have zero and three or whatever per each quarter, I might try do something like that right, for but, fun. So you well, okay, but also for money. I mean, well, yes, <laughs> okay, yes, yeah. Okay, so even money. even you, who is is clearly not a gambler, you know that that you don't have that gambling gene. I got the gambling gene, thanks, mom. <laughs> you know, you don't have that gambling gene, but even you, you would be inclined to say, hey, if it were legal, you know, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd put yeah. ten bucks or twenty bucks sure. on the Packers Bear game or sure. whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. I grew. Yeah, would you be better? You'd be betting. You wouldn't. So you're not. You're not inclined at all. You just think that's throwing your money around. Wait, for the most. Okay, all right, fine. Now I bring this up because with a couple narrow exceptions, up until a year or two ago, the only place you could legally, and I say legally, I understand there's people out there. What do they call the bookies? Yes, that's what they call the bookies. There are people out there who I understand. You know, you could always. You know, you, you could call up Fred and find out what the line is. You could make a bet with Fred. But with the exception of, uh, again, those bookies, 
there were only a couple places in the country where you could legally place sports bets. Nevada, of course, being one. You go to Las Vegas, you go to Reno, you could bet. couple other very minor exceptions. But in general, sports betting illegal everywhere with the exception of Nevada. That changed a couple years ago when a, a Supreme, when the Supreme Court struck down a, a federal law which banned sports betting anywhere except in these couple states, these couple areas. So as a result now, states can offer sports betting. New Jersey was the first one to get into it. As a matter of fact, New Jersey was the one that, um, launched the the whole revolution and, and you know was responsible for the lawsuit that ended up overturning the law so i mean new jersey you can go to new jersey and there are places where you can go and you can legally place wagers on sporting events there's a couple other states that are moving in that direction as well pennsylvania being one and our neighbors to the south illinois now illinois state finances are a complete and total mess The new governor of Illinois is pushing hard to legalize sports betting in Illinois. As a matter of fact, his budget, his proposed budget, you know, Tony Evers rolled out his budget. Um, The new governor of Illinois, his budget includes about $200 million in revenue from sports betting because he wants to see sports betting legalized in Illinois. Now, it's a little bit unclear. The devil is in the details. I can't tell you because the proposal's not firm yet. Is he talking about only allowing, like, licensing X number of, of people or casinos or whatever to offer sports betting? Or is he talking about offering like sports betting over the Internet in Illinois, which is a much more lucrative type of thing? Those are details that all need to be worked out. But in any event, they believe that if they legalize it, they can generate $200 million in revenue the first year alone. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sports betting remains illegal in Wisconsin. Now, you, you can... Place bets on horse racing. If you go down to, for example, if you go to Potawatomi, they have a race book. You can place bets on on horse races from all around the country. You can go to various casinos run by Indian tribes throughout the state, and you can you know you can play the slot machines, and you can play roulette, and you can play blackjack, and you've got various card rooms and things like that. So th- there is gambling here. But it's not legal to bet on football games or basketball games or auto racing or golf or any of those things. Illinois is moving in that direction. Matter of fact, like I say, they've got a budget item built in. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the revenue, I mean, comes from a percentage of essentially what people lose. (laughs) Essentially, it it comes from a percentage of what people lose. So it's another form of of a tax. But in this case, it's stuff that nobody forces you to to make a bet. Nobody would go to my producer, Gru, and say, hey, you've got to put $20 on the Packers-Bear game. It would be a choice that he would make. So this is my question. Illinois is prepared to do this. New Jersey already has. Pennsylvania has. Would you like to see sports betting made legal in Wisconsin? Yes or no? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and tra- Tech the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Say that like 12 times a day, five days a week, and say it in your sleep. 414-799-1620. I, I have to tell you, and I understand you might disagree with me on this, but given the fact that the genie is out of the bottle when it comes to gambling, given the fact that you can go to an Indian casino right now and you can play poker, you can play the slot machines. You can legally bet on horse races from all across the country. You can play blackjack. You can play roulette at some of the places. You can play these odd games that I have no idea how you even win on them. Given the fact that that is out of the bottle, I think it is time to legalize sports betting as well. Now, I understand, again, that there's people who have fundamental issues about gambling, and they say, look, here's the problem. You know, when you legalize gambling, you know, it it creates potential gambling problems, and, and there is an element to that. But at the same time, we don't ban bars because... Again, there's a certain percentage of the population that become alcoholics. You know, we, we recognize that for most people, it's just a harmless pastime. The other thing when it comes to sports betting is, is people do this. I mean, this is just the reality. There is this entire underground empire that's out there where you have people that, that are betting on the Packers games. There, you have people that are placing wagers on various other things. And, and I guess, I'm at a point now, given the fact that we do have gambling and the gambling genie is out of the bottle, I am at a point now where it's like, all right, let's let's tax it. Let's generate the revenue from it. And it would seem to me as we are moving closer and closer towards legalizing the recreational use of marijuana, those arguments are this argument is pretty much the same. People are doing it. So why don't we legalize it? Why don't we take the, you know, the kind of underground economy out of it? Let's bring it to the forefront. Let's tax it. And in the case of gambling, let's confront the issues of the problem gamblers. Because candidly, if you're a problem gambler, my sense is you're, you're, you've already got enough opportunities to feed that addiction that the fact that you can now bet on Packers games legally, well, I, I don't think it's going to change it. To me, the, the bigger question isn't should you do it, because I do believe that we should do it. it. It's how do you jump in? How exactly do you handle it? Again, do you go the more lucrative route, which would allow people to gamble over the Internet, or do you say, no, you, you have to go to the, the brick-and-mortar facility? You've got to go to the, the betting parlor to do it. That's something that I, I think i got to really think through as to what the better way is to handle it. But having said all that, I, I think you're going to see more and more occasions like this. And in all honesty, if Illinois, for example, decides that they're going to authorize legalized sports betting, and I, I think it's not a question of if, it's simply a question of when, once that happens, what you're looking at is I think, you know, you're going to see like the equivalent of reverse oleo runs. You know, you're going to see people from Wisconsin driving down to Illinois to place their bets on the different games and then coming back. Why do we want to end up, you know, losing that type of revenue? couple texts. Jeff, I am for sports betting. However, I would like to take it one step further and allow anyone to open casinos, not just the Indian tribes. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's. That's, you know, a fundamental question that you, you know, have to deal with. Um, 
I think what you have to do is you have to look at how can you best generate revenue from, in this case, a, a vice, but a vice that people obviously want to participate in and a vice that they are participating in. I mean, be honest now. How many how many of us have gone into a particular tavern and, you know, they have the, the, the squares that are out there where for two bucks or five bucks or whatever, you know, you can buy the square. And then at the end of the Packers game, you look to see what the last number of the last digit in the Packers win total number of points was and how many points the Detroit Lions had. And then you go across the grid and somebody ends up winning. This stuff is going on now. I just think it's time to get it out of the bars, um, legalize it tax it, generate the revenue, and if Illinois is going to do it, well, maybe maybe us cheeseheads should do it as well. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. The week's, this week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase brought to you by my friends with Hometown Windows and Doors. That's Hometown with an E for your every window and door need. Now here's something pretty cool, a little piece of trivia courtesy of our digital department and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks clinch a playoff position today if they beat the Los Angeles Lakers. If the Bucks win tonight, they clinch a playoff spot. Now the season has what at least another month to run. This is March 1st, so at least at least another month to run. I mean, how cool would that be? Now, obviously, they've got the best record in the NBA, and but there there were years not that long ago where the real question was, can the Bucks sneak into the playoffs? And the games mattered. Now the games really matter because they're going to be playing for a playoff seating. I'm telling you, this is a great year to be a Bucks fan, and I, I take my hat off to the the Bucks organization. I mean, they have. I think a realistic chance to win the NBA title this year. And and, and am I predicting they're going to win them? Win it? No. Uh, the fact is that it, it's always, I think it's especially tough the first time you've really been a serious playoff contender. Uh, but I tell you, it's been an exciting run. And the Bucks, if they win tonight, they clinch, uh, they clinch a playoff spot. That is very, very cool. We've got Pop Culture Corner coming up in a couple minutes. But before that, I just I wanted to comment on one of the other things that was in the budget from Tony Evers yesterday, because, you know, the, the phrase that's been thrown around a lot this week, you had you had Donald Trump's lawyer, who former lawyer who came out and said, well, as far as I'm concerned, Trump is nothing but a con man. And that got a lot of attention. And I I, I understand why he was saying that. And, you know, you're certainly entitled to have your opinion if that's what your opinion is. But when it comes to con men, there were some things going on in this Tony Evers budget rollout yesterday that, that to me, it might almost put Donald Trump to shame. Now, here, here's one of the aspects of this. Evers proposes an eight-cent-a-gallon tax increase. All right? So right now in Wisconsin, the state gas tax is about like 33 cents, 32.9 cents. And and what he says is, all right, what I want to do is I want to raise it 8 cents, which would essentially jack it up to 41 cents a gallon, which means, okay, so 10 gallon, if if when you fill up your tank, it's 12 gallons, you'd essentially be paying an extra dollar in tax. Not a dollar in tax, but an extra dollar in tax. 
okay, reasonable people, and we've had this conversation before, can disagree about whether this is the way to go. I, for one, am not convinced that we have eliminated all the waste and the fat in the Department of Transportation budget. Matter of fact, I think there's still a lot of waste and fat to go, and I think you do tax increases only as a last resort. So, But, but Evers says we're going to raise it $0.08 cents a gallon. Oh, okay, that that's fine. Like I say, reasonable people can agree or disagree about whether that is the best way to go. Here's where the con man thing comes in, though. Ever says, well, yeah, I'm talking about raising the taxes, but here's what I want to do. I want to eliminate the minimum markup law on gasoline. Now, this is something that I have been arguing in favor of for for years and years and years. In Wisconsin, we have this antiquated law that goes back to the, the Depression that says that you're, you're not allowed, with a couple exceptions, you're, you're not allowed to sell gasoline at or below cost. There have to be these various levels of markup. So if I have a gas station, it's Jeff and Gru's gas station, and we're trying to get people in because we sell other stuff as well. We sell milk. We sell cigarettes. We sell lottery tickets. And we want to make the decision to say we want to sell gas at cost because we figure people are going to come in and buy gas, and they're also going to come into our store, and they're going to buy milk, for example, and we make a bunch of money selling milk. Okay, the law in Wisconsin says we can't do that as a general rule. So what Evers says is I want to do away with that minimum markup law. All right, well, I want to do away with the minimum markup law when it comes to gasoline as well. But he ties the two together, and he says, look, here, here's, the, here's the deal. If you, you eliminate the, the whole minimum markup law, you eliminate the minimum markup law, and we raise the gas tax, it will actually benefit consumers because gasoline will be sold for less, the price will go down, so we will more than make up that, that $0.08 cent a gallon increase in gas tax that I'm going to have. Okay, now we don't have enough time to go into all the nuances of this, but if you believe this, if you believe that by raising taxes we will lower the cost of gasoline, my advice is... Be sure to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you do not hurt yourself. This, you know, don't worry, trust me, believe me, I'm going to raise the tax by $0.08 cents a gallon, which means that we're going to generate $485 million. But trust me, trust me, by eliminating the minimum markup law, we're, you're going you're gonna to end up ahead. Um, color me skeptical on that. That's, again, the guy that's coming to your town who's trying to sell you the band uniforms. I mean, seriously, when I heard Tony Evers talking about this, all I could think of was Robert Preston and the Music Man promising, you buy these uniforms and we're going to have this great marching band. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. Yeah, this is the portion of the program 
we do this the last segment or two of, of every Friday show. We kind of we stop talking about the budget, and we stop talking about the craziness going on in Washington, and we stop talking about the relentless weather, and we try to put a smile on everybody's face going into the weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. We Sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes books, sometimes sports, sometimes TV. Uh, just it depends on what tickles my fancy in a given week and what I hope you will find interesting. Well, as I said before, last week I was on vacation. I was in Key West. Key West is one of my happy places. Now, I could never live in Key West because it's 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 just a giant tourist place. But it's fun to go for a few days. And did I mention it was 85 degrees outside? But one of the great things about Key West is there the main drag in Key West is called Duval Street. And, and Key West, it's, a, it's an island. It's only like a mile and a half by three miles. And the main stretch is Duval Street that runs for about a mile and a quarter from the, the Gulf side, Mallory Square, where people go to watch the sunsets, down to the Atlantic side, you know, where if you've ever seen pictures of Key West, everybody poses by, you know, the, the buoy, which is the southernmost part of the United States. You know, it's 90 miles to Cuba or whatever. So the, one of the cool things about Key West is it is incredibly safe. They really have very, very little crime um, that, that's there because as one of the police officers explained to me, it's an island. You know, I mean, there, there's one road in, one road out. It, it's, you know, you know, if you leave your purse out, you know, could somebody steal it? Yeah, maybe. But in general, the biggest crime they have in Key West is somebody gets drunk and steals somebody else's bicycle. But one of the cool things about Key West is it, it's it's a party town. I mean, as you walk along the main drag in Duval Street on any given block, on either side of the street, you will see three, four, maybe more bars, many of which are open air, you know, just with uh, the umbrellas and stuff like that, many of which have, you know, live music. It, it's just it's a fun place to hang out for, again, a, a few days. And I have my favorite spots in Key West that we go to, and some are kind of out-of-the-way places, and some are some of the, the, the touristy places that everybody knows, like Sloppy Joe's or Captain Tony's Saloon or the, the world-famous Green Parrot. But it's just kind of fun to hang out at these, these different bars. I enjoy it all my life. Some people collect coins. Some people collect stamps. Some people collect cars. I've always collected bars. Whenever I go to a new place, one of the things I like to do is do a little bit of research about it and find out, hey, there's there's this bar, and i got to go to it. When I was in Venice, I had to go spend $22 for a gin and tonic sitting in Harry's Cafe American, which is where Ernest Hemingway hung out when he was in Venice. Well, okay, I've, I've been there. It cost me 22 bucks to have the gin and tonic, but it was worth it to have that one beer there. When I was in San Diego the first time, I found the bar where, in the, the old movie Top Gun, it was where the two of the characters, the um, Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards' character, were like playing the piano, and, and she gave had one of the greatest lines in movie history, Goose, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. I found that bar. I was in that bar in San Diego. I was at that piano. Mm. You know, I just it was just it was just cool. That's 
that that's my life, and I like to do some of those kind of fun things. So I thought for Pop Culture Corner this week, and I, I got to thinking about that, not just because I was in Key West last week, but also Journal Sentinel had this story about how there's this new list that's out, and craftbeer.com has come out and has listed you know the top beer bar, the top craft beer bars in each state. And Journal Sentinel, my friend Kathy Flanagan, she reports that the place called the Brass Tap in Greenfield has been named one of the top beer bars in America. I thought, all right, pop culture corner this week. Lent is coming up, so you kind of still have a chance to go out and maybe, you know, indulge in some of these things. If some people I know give up beer, give up liquor before um, before uh, Lent. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Pop Culture Corner this week. All right. What is your very favorite tavern? Your very best bar. What makes a great bar? And when you're looking for, maybe maybe you want to have a Cheers. Maybe it's like, look, I want the place that's like Cheers. It's where everybody knows my name. Or maybe it's, I want to go to the place that has a 100 different beers. Or maybe it's, I want to go to the place that's got a million different TVs that are up on the walls. Or maybe you want to go to the place that, gee, it's kind of that quiet hideaway, and it hasn't been changed since 1963, and they make the best brandy Manhattans in the world. Pop Culture Corner. The best bar in Wisconsin. Be prepared to defend your answer. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. And as I always say on these segments, call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. 414-799-1620. The best bar in Wisconsin. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love this bar. Yep, Pop Culture Corner, the best bar ever, 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Greendale. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Explorium Pub in uh, the Southridge Mall. Yeah, that's relatively new, isn't it? Uh, about two and a half years old. The owners are fantastic. They, they make all, all their own beer. So you can't go in there and get your local bottle of you, you know, whatever, uh, it's all craft beer. They have barrel-aged Manhattans and Old Fashioned <laughs> as well, and a great food menu. Uh, anything from brick oven pizza to uh, meatloaf with bacon wrapped around it. And they have a mud club. Um, it has 375 <laughs> members, and, you know, you walk in there and you see I'm number so-and-so. Right. And they pull your mug down, and it's happy hour all the time that you're a mug club member. Yeah. See, that that yeah, sounds like trouble to me, John. You know, th- th- those mug club things, I think I could get in a lot of trouble at those places. Well, you probably could, but you know, <laughs> they have flights if you want as well. But the thing I like about it the most, um, you go there and you have a beer or a drink, but you're not, like, sitting in a bar, you know. Uh, right. It's kind of that old boys and girls club of just going there and socializing and you have a great outdoor patio when the weather gets. Well, that's all. I mean, thanks. That, that's always important. That's important as well. Now, I like the feelings of. I mean, I like going into the kind of old bars. We were in one in Key West last week, and my wife Fran said I stuck to the chair, <laughs> you know, and it was like, yeah, it was kind of sticky in there. So, I mean, there is that kind of fine line between. Well, you, you like being in the place at the same time. You don't want to kind of stick to the dance floor. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Marion in Germantown. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. 
I uh, like Maxim's on 180th and Capitol. Okay. They have the same bartender forever, and she's a woman, Becky, and they have uh, wonderful orders, a nice size bar, and the food is excellent. Okay, Marion, what is your drink of choice? Because my guess is Becky knows what it is that you drink. An old-fashioned. <laughs> there you go. Know, there, and that's it. That see, and that is the kind of cool thing. That's the cheers aspect of bars that I think people find so appealing. That you walk in right away, and and people know what it is that you want. I'm not necessarily proud of this crew who's producing the show today, but I, there's a couple places in town where I walk in and they say, "Oh, yeah, this is yeah, you're." You still you still want this this particular drink? And I say yes. Okay, lots of texts. Margaritaville in Nashville, hands down. I've never been to the Margarita in Nashville. I've been to one, and I've been to lots of Margaritavilles. Um, let's see. Here's another. By far, Romans on KK in Bayview, Milwaukee's first craft beer bar. Um, same unPC bartender since 1978. My favorite saying comes from the owner who says, the sign reads open, not welcome. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. 414-799-1620. Bob in Port Washington. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Good take to talk to you. Uh, it used to be a favorite bar of mine and my wife. It used to be the Marine Bar in Cedarburg. It's just a local bar, but everybody treated everybody nice. And it's like bars like that I really miss. Yeah, so it's gone. It's not. I was trying to picture. So it's not there anymore. No. Okay. No. Yeah. That. That's it. I mean, right. I think it's kind of. That's why people like those type of bars or taverns. It's. It's kind of the familiarity, and you know everybody that's in there, and it's a good crowd, and you can go in for a fair price drink and a good conversation. Yeah. No. And any other one's place was uh, stay or lease, because I remember Ward Allen coming in there after. (laughs) After former yeah. former weather guy, thanks for calling. Former weather guy from uh, Channel Six, going back to the day. Okay, going back to the text line, the Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago. That was the place um, memorialized in the Saturday Night Live things. The cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger chips. That's the Billy Goat Tavern. Um, let's see the Pub and Grub in Pell Lake because it sells every kind of popular beer in the area. They have every kind of beer you will imagine, and the owner will sit right down on your table and talk to you. He loves to tell jokes. Well, sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be a bad thing. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, Romy's, R-O-M-E-Y apostrophe S in St. Martin's. Oh, okay. Well, you, you had me with St. Martin's. What makes it so great? It's uh, a dive, <laughs> and it's the size of a three-car garage. Okay. And uh, people are nice, uh, friendly, uh, but the food is fantastic. They have uh, charcoal grilling of uh, everything, like uh, their burgers and such, and the food and the French fries are fantastic. So uh, the food is great, and it's just a quirky little place. Well, and I, I think so. I mean, I love the, I kind of love the quirky little places as well. That's one of the things that just appeals to me about Key West because they've got the big fancy brew pubs and all. And I like going to those as well. But then you go into some of the the other quirky type of places, and you do you kind of say, well, okay, I, I think I'd like a beer, but in this particular case. Why don't you give me a bottle of beer and can you open it in front of me, please? You know, you know how that goes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. 
Hey, Jeff. My current favorite one is 1983 Arcade Bar on Old World 3rd, not far from the Pfizer Farm. That's the one with – that's that's got all the, like, the old pinball machines and stuff, right? It's got old uh, video games, pinball machines, and you can also sit at the bar and play old Nintendo consoles as well. I have never been there, so it's worth checking out, huh? Yeah, like next time you go to a Marquette game or right. whatever, um, I would recommend uh, just stopping in there for a little bit and playing some games and, and uh, just yeah. hanging out. Well, I mean, th- I, I, I mean that, that's always kind of the, the fun sort of stuff, too, because that would take me back to my misbegotten childhood when you go and you hang out there. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Doug in Kewaskum. Hi, Doug. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, thanks for taking my sure. call. Uh, yeah, I like... Uh, Shoeless Tap, that's 26th and Mitchell. Okay. Okay, tell me why. It's just a friendly bar where, you know, everybody gets along, and it's all different cultures, and the drinks are good. and Right. The, the owners are really good, and uh, they put out a lot of food for the customers. and Right. The, you it's, know, it's, that... it's a real small bar, and it's, it's cheap, and it's... Well, I feel safe there. Well, they, no, I get. It. I mean, thanks. You know, it is. In some respects, those type of taverns are kind of like throwbacks to the, the earlier days in Milwaukee, where you had they weren't corporate. And I'm not knocking the corporate places. Don't don't get me wrong, but you know, where you have the, those local owners and that the same people have been tending bar for the last twenty years or so, and th- there's a good vibe. You know, the, part of the problem sometimes when you have like I was in a place not that long ago, and and I walked in and there were I, I I hadn't been there before, and there were like a half dozen regulars around a relatively small bar, and I walk in and I sit down and everybody's looking at me and it's I'm like oh well because Jim is going to be here in fifteen minutes and I just sat in Jim's chair. It's like these things where okay like people new to the bar aren't really welcome that are in there, and that's I think what kind of kills bars where you don't feel they're not welcoming for you know newcomers to come in so you always want to have that good mix between you know your regulars that you need but also you want it to be welcoming for you know other people to come in as well let's talk to jimmy in waukesha jimmy you're on wtmj hello hi yeah i'm jimmy uh sullivan's my name and holy cannolis in elkhorn wisconsin which is just uh, about four miles north of elkhorn on highway 12 and 16 I, Jimmy, I you, you got we kind of got a little bit of a bad connection, but I love the name Holy Cannoli. Let's talk to Quincy in Milwaukee. Quincy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Quincy. My favorite restaurant is, I mean, bar is Chancery's on South 27th Street. Okay, the Chancery on South 27th. I got to let you go too, Quincy, because you're you, you've got it on the background and you're going to hear us in delay. The, the Chancery on South 27th Street. You know, Chancery's those are again those are kind of the corporate places, but still. Um, they're they're cool. There's there's one there's a chancery not that far from where I live, and we go in and patronize it. All right, this has been a little this has been a lot of fun. I'm just getting inundated with texts. The landmark 1850, the oldest and best bar in Milwaukee. Two people say they're on their way there now. Okay, well that's it. Here's another text. Ernie's Wine Bar. I'm sure you've been there, Jeff. Craft cocktails, the best snacks, not to mention high quality wine. No, my wife has been to Ernie's Wine Bar, which is in Cedarburg. I've never been there before. I've been at a place across the street and I've seen Ernie's Wine Bar, never gotten over there. Look, bottom line is whatever your tavern is, 
just just support it. Um, this is perhaps a good week to go out and do it. Like I say, Lent kicks in pretty soon. But whatever your favorite bar is, go out and enjoy it. I collect bars, and if you've got ideas for good ones, please be sure to pass them on. John Mercure and the rest of the gang from Wisconsin's Afternoon News, they're down at the auto show for a second day in a row. We'll check in with them in just a minute.